You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Hey crew, Mark Hadmaker here, coming to you from the Command Sharia. Let's uh, talk about what it means to be a true combination man and uh, steal a phrase from another early badass. Uh, the phrase is driving three corners down. All right, so today's sermon seeks to define as purely as possible what it means to be a combination manner slash combination fighter in the strict old school definition of this historical fighting beast and not merely a dual sport athlete or a cross trainer, one who mixes a bit of this and a bit of that. But first, a little gonads to the wall old school racing history. Barney Oldfield, you know that name? He was America's first bona fide celebrity driver. How long ago was this? Well, when Henry Ford was wanting to provide PR for his vehicle, he entered one of his cars in a race in 1901 in Gross Point, Michigan. Mr. Ford himself drove his car against experienced racer Alexander Winton. Winton owned the first seven laps of the 10-mile race, but Ford pulled ahead in the eighth and took the victory. The speed of these vehicles in the dirt track was around 45 miles per hour. Now, well, before we guffaw at this speed, thinking of our easily besting that in our comfort-controlled performance design machines, Ponder doing the same thing in proto-vehicles with zero safety features and none of the bells and whistles of smoothly designed engineering that evens out our copious driving mistakes. Add to that, these uh, being open vehicles, that is, no roof, no roll bars, no bells, no nada, just you and one of these bouncing beasts uh, whipping around an unstable dirt track at 45 miles per hour. Uh, this, uh, after you listen to this episode, my suggestion uh, also go back and have a listen where we uh, talk about the Peltzman effect in one of the, the earlier podcasts. There's, uh, there's a lot to be learned about how poor or how much our skills degrade once we add the safety gear. Now, any of us who have driven at speed in less than an uh, ideal mode of locomotion can easily conjure the, ah, oh, that is quite a hoss feat what these guys were doing. Now, just picture how it feels to hit 45 in your Ford Taurus, 45 across uh, wakes in a jet ski, and 45 skiing downhill, and you see speed and safety are relative to the vehicle, all right? Now, Ford, the winner, expressed himself uh, thusly after his experience, boy, I'll never do that again. I was scared to death. So Ford, the honest, went looking for a driver to show off his machines. In 1902, he approached burned Eli Oldfield, a successful bicycle racer and occasional boxer, to drive for him. Oldfield had never driven in a road race before and wound up winning handily versus experienced competitors, this starting him off a new career of whizzing around dirt tracks, perfecting his game, and engaging in more than a few so-called stunts, including being the first person to race up the dirt road that led to the 14,110-foot summit, uh, summit of Pikes Peak. Now, Barney Oldfield's name and image were known to all, easily recognizable in his racing togs, which were a scarf wrapped around his throat and an unlit cigar clamped between his teeth. Why the unlit cigar? To keep his teeth from rattling together and breaking off in the rough terrain of the track. See, I told you, no safety gear, all right? I mean, these guys were crazy back then. I love them. Now, when asked how he does what he does, Oldfield offered this. You know, most guys see no further than just the front of their hood or the corner they're driving me. I'm driving three corners down, unquote. There's likely more to Mr. Oldfield's success than that, but this is a perfect jumping off point for today's sermon. See, modern research using pupil tracking uh, bears out Mr. Oldfield's advice. Drivers fitted with pupil tracking helmets reveal that the smoothest and most successful drivers have a long view of the track or course. The worst or least successful handlers in a track were looking closer to the vehicle and middle of the pack drivers were middle distance gazers. 
Okay, let's move on to combination fighters and dual sport athletes. I'm going to address both of these. In the Americas from around 1860 onward to the 1930s, an athlete who competed in both boxing and wrestling was considered a combination fighter, one that could perform adeptly at either sport. That thumbnail definition leads some to believe that mere proficiency at the twin rule sets made one a combination fighter. That's not so. In this time period, both sports were high in popularity engaged in by many. Many a wrestler augmented his training with heavy boxing. Uh, William Muldoon comes to mind rapidly. And many a fistic luminary used wrestling in their training camps. Uh, John L. Sullivan, Bob Fitzsimmons, and Jack Dempsey spring to the fore here. And yet, none of these men regarded themselves as a combination fighter. Yes, they were able scrappers in their side game, but they recognized that a combination fighter was different than merely being adept at both boxing and wrestling. They used the term combination fighter to designate a different beast altogether. In the original sense, the word a combination fighter was one who could drive three corners down. A fighter who did not see the mere use of a punch to set up a leg dive is worthy of the title. They thought of dual sport athletes as something akin to duelists. Uh, that is, two folks who agree that they will remain standing and trade with whatever art, heart, and science they possess, or jockey for takedowns, pins, and submissions with commensurate art, heart, and science. Even those who engaged in mixed mas- matches where the rule sets blend uh, did not necessarily bestow combination fighter status. So even though this early MMA, you weren't still you weren't a combination fighter yet just because you did that. The experience could still see the gear shifting, the driving just in front of the hood, as it were. True combination fighters were those that could see the commonalities in each and every aspect of the game. They could read three punches in as to who was making a boxing-dominant attempt at a combination. They could also read the way a hand whipped off of an outside step if one was wrestling-steeped or truly a combination thinker. Now, the early definition saw this noticeable to wise eyes, shifting of gears between sports as a fighter. They were called muscle set. A fighter who was set in old school parlance was one who was steeped in one discipline more than the other. This, uh, in modern times, let's think of uh, Michael Jordan in basketball, performance par excellence, and then Mr. Jordan in baseball would have been called muscle set by the old timers. A mere mix was not the sought-for goal. The tactic of one motion that could be both, where one becomes all, was the admired end. That definition leads to this question. If the skill of a combination fighter was so valued, why did it fade into the historical background? And that's a good question. It's likely two answers. Answer one, lack of economic incentive. For whatever reason, combination matches did not catch the same cash in the barrelhead fire as did straight boxing and wrestling matches. One may say, you got to make a living, so you got to pick and choose. Answer two, the the excuse slash reason assumption of set muscles was the other. As fighters were expected to specialize, fewer and fewer wrestlers boxed in their training regimen and fewer and fewer boxers wrestled in their camps. The faddish thought in the late 30s began to turn towards thinking cross-pollination set the fighter too much and stole time, resources, and reflexes from the moneyed proposition. With that in mind, we devolved the definition with combination fighter as an epitomized combat athlete to using dual sports to prepare for both sports to worries that training one or the other will set the fighter in question. So the true combination fighter is more than just cross-training. The avid historical recreator will strive for this pure and early definition of combination fighter and sees the smoke of mere dual or triple sport training. This fighter will strive to see far past the hood, look beyond the middle distance, and drive three corners down. And uh, that is a large part of what the Black Box Project is all about. (laughs) 
Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages if you like music. So.